Happy Easter, Crosspoint. Turn with me in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord, Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through, the, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the word of Jesus Christ. Good Easter Sunday morning to you, Crosspoint Church. Today, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can say it together, Christ is risen, He is risen indeed. Our time together today is going to be about hope. Hope when we have difficult circumstances. Hope that's stronger than hardship. Hope that's bigger than any mountain of despair that we see in front of us. Today, we look to the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. And so as you're in your home together, I want you to know that you are with your church. That Cross Point downtown is looking to the hope that Christ offers us in the resurrection together. And my prayer is, and we're going to pray this here in just a moment, but we're asking that God would unite us around that empty tomb where Jesus rose from the grave. Father, I'm asking right now that you would stir our hearts towards you. Lord, we acknowledge that these times have been hard. That uh, throughout this pandemic, Lord, uh, many of us have wrestled with fear, anxiety. Some of us, we even know people who uh, might have died as a result of COVID-19. And so, Lord, into that darkness, I'm asking that you would speak forth your light. And that we, God, would be a people of hope. Hope that's bigger than ourselves. Hope that's completely and entirely in you. And we know that you give us the resurrection of Jesus to have a living hope, a hope beyond anything else. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, since the beginning of this pandemic, I've said the word, I hope, a lot. When it was the first uh, week of, of when they started closing things down, it started like this. I'd said, I hope that I get to go on that vacation. Or I hope that they don't keep Disney World closed forever. Or when we're figuring out how to homeschool our kids, I hope they open schools as quickly as possible. So those hopes were initially around our comforts and conveniences. But as time went on, those hopes got bigger and more significant, and more substantial. As a pastor, I've said, I hope that our church and the members of our church don't lose their jobs. I hope that our church doesn't get sick or the members of our church don't get impacted by this virus in a negative way. And then around our table the other night when I was with my family, I asked my children what were some of their hopes. And they said that they hope that their grandparents don't get sick. Camden said that he hopes that he can go back to school and see his friends real soon. And my wife mentioned that she hopes that her coworkers 
at the school get through this okay. Those are real hopes. I remember praying on the phone with my friend Brian, whose mom passed away a week ago past this past Thursday as a result of this virus. And we prayed with hope that God would heal her. And so, when we look at the circumstances around us, we know that the promise of God in light of COVID-19 isn't just what's in front of us, but it's not an I hope, it's a living hope. And this is the hope that Brian is holding on to in light of even losing his mother, that yes, the Lord is faithful with the hope that He gives us. Because his mom put her faith in the living hope, Jesus Christ, she is surely alive with Him. And this is the hope that we have in our living hope, Jesus Christ. It moves from I hope into living hope. And our living hope is in the resurrection promise that God fulfilled 2,000 years ago when the tomb was empty. As you journey on this Holy Week and this Easter Sunday, today was the day that the women went down to the tomb in order to tend to the dead body of Jesus Christ. And rather than finding a dead body in the tomb, the grave was open and there was an angel of the Lord and He said to the women who were there, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Christ is risen. And this is what our hope is is focused on today. And that's the passage that we have in 1 Peter as he speaks these words of hope into the church in a difficult time. We're going to look at this passage in four, four parts. We're going to see that we have an author of hope. The second thing we're going to see is that there is an entryway to hope. The third thing we're, we're going to see is that there's a substance of hope. And then finally, we're going to see that there is a power of hope. So let's look at the first thing right now. The author of hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the author of hope is the author of all creation. He is the one that has given you life and breath. He has created the world and all of its contents. And this God who is our Creator is a God who is worthy of blessing. He is worthy of worship. I think about the old hymn, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father. Praise Son. Praise Holy Ghost. Amen. But we don't just bless this God because He is the author of our lives. But He's the author of hope today. He didn't just create us, but He knows us. He knows your fears. He knows your anxieties. He knows the difficulties that you're in right now. He knows if you've experienced job loss and how you're going to get through it. He knows if your family is sick and in the hospital and how you're going to endure the trial that's in front of you. There is nothing in your life that has escaped the author of your life. And this author of hope is the one that we turn to today. Last week we started a series that we would watch uh, as a family called The Chosen. 
Uh, you could find this series on YouTube and I would highly recommend it. And this series follows some of the biblical characters of the, in, in, in the life of Christ. One of which was Mary Magdalene. And in this story, Mary Magdalene grew up as a little girl whose father taught her the truths of the Scriptures. But her father was sick. And when her father was sick, she was also scared. And so she turned to her dad and she says, Papa, I'm scared. And her father looked at her and he says, well, what do we do when we're sick? And he recited Isaiah 43, verse 1. And they both said this verse together. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And as you follow the story of this little girl, she went by the name Lilith later on. But as Lilith, she was a very scared woman. She had these fits of rage that were caused by demons. And she wondered if she would ever be cured of these demons. If there was any healer or any religious man that could cast these demons out of her life. She was hopeless. And one day as she's in the bar and she's ready to drink her problems away, she had an encounter. Her hand went for the drink and out of the shadows came another hand that grabbed hers and said, that's not for you. And it caught her off guard and she was incredibly, you know, incredibly fearful in that moment. And she left as fast as she could. And so again, outside of that bar, this man found her again and he embraced her and he held her and he said, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And the man who embraced her is the man, Jesus Christ, who has caused this woman, Lilith, to be forgiven from sins. And He's called her by name, Mary Magdalene. And God, this God who is very present in the story of Mary Magdalene, although we don't know if that's the story of how she encountered Christ, we do know that she had a life-transforming encounter with Jesus that made her a brand new person. And that's where we look now to the entryway to hope. There's only one way to experience hope, and that's by a new birth. You know in the, stories of, in the story of Scripture, Mary Magdalene's life was completely turned upside down. And that's what happens when we find our hope in Jesus Christ, is those lesser hopes, those dead hopes, are changed to where we have a living hope. And the only way to experience that living hope isn't through isn't through our our, our normal everyday lives that we're born into. We need to be reborn into a new hope and a new life. And that's why you'll hear the expression, are you a born-again Christian? And when you hear that expression, it's it's asking the question, 
Has your life been changed completely by the work of Jesus Christ? Because the only way to have true living hope is by a rebirth in Jesus Christ by the power of His Holy Spirit. And so we see in the second part of this verse, according to, the, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Just as much as we are born into this life, we are dependent upon everyone and everything else. There is, we, we had nothing to do with our own birth. Uh, author, his name's Tom Schreiner, says this, The focus here is on God's initiative in producing life. No one takes credit for being born. It's something that happens to us. Christianity is something that catches us in a moment of surrender. It's not something that we decide to do. It's not like we decide in one moment that we're going to become a Christian. No, what happens is there's this work of God that orchestrates that we are in desperate need of Him. And He brings us to the end of ourselves so that we might find life in life in Him to where our lives say with our voices and our hearts, I belong to You, Lord. I want to live for You. And the new birth of Jesus Christ is a new birth, as Paul says, where the old has passed away and behold, the new is come. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That we belong to him because he made us brand new. Now, if you have put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ today, this is a reality. Things are not the same. And let me tell you what took place in my life that changed so much when this new birth happened in me. Is that I stopped living for my glory. And I had, in my hearts, realized that I was created to live for the glory of God above all else. Something similar happened to the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.9. He says, found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith. Paul, in his former life as a Pharisee, Saul of Tarsus, was very dependent not upon faith in Christ, but upon his obedience to the law. He was looking for his righteousness by his own morality, his own ability to keep God's law. There's over 600 laws in the Scriptures. And Paul, Saul of Tarsus believed that he could obediently live out God's law. And so he didn't need faith in anything or anyone else. And so Paul says here that found in Christ his righteousness doesn't come from himself through his obedience to the law, but through Christ. You know, in much of the same way, we can think that we are good enough to be uh, in relationship with God because of the things that we've done or don't do. If we compare ourselves to the nightly news cycles, we think we're a lot better than the people that are going to jail tonight. 
And so we think that there's some basis of our own goodness that's acceptable or our own righteousness that's acceptable to God. So we don't think we need a new birth. But the Scriptures say that your life has been, has been marred by sin. That you have lived for yourself and you haven't lived for God. And even the good things of your life, the things that you have done that have been good for others, they haven't been motivated by the glory of God, but they've been motivated by a life turned turn inwards, looking at yourself. And what the Bible says is that there's a freedom that we experience when that new birth happens and we're made alive to the person and work of Jesus Christ. John 3.3 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so what we need, not is to make our lives better, but we need to be reborn into a new life in which Christ opens our eyes so that we could see, opens our ears that we can hear, so that we would live in Him, that we would walk in Him, and that we would trust Him. This is what God is calling us to today in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of difficulty, that we would not trust in the former things of life, but with our Bibles open and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would see the source of life through His living Word. And His living Word tells us that we have a living hope that's through Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. Now, the next part of this passage, Peter uh, points them to something more substantial, the substance of hope. What does it mean that we trust in Jesus Christ? What does it mean that we have eternal life? Is it just some kind of pie-in-the-sky wishful thinking? Peter actually points the church to something significant. He says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter points this church that was scattered and persecuted in around Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey, a place where they had no homes to go back to, a place where many of them struggled to make ends meet financially. And because of their faith in Jesus, they were persecuted and they were put out of Jerusalem and Rome. Peter writes to them so that they would have a hope beyond what they could see, so that they would not despair. And he says that you've been born again to a living hope. You've been promised an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Now this inheritance hearkens us back to the Old Testament where the promised land, the land that God had promised His people as they wandered around in the desert was their promised land, was their inheritance. And this inheritance was not some kind of fluff or clouds in the sky that they couldn't grab onto, but this inheritance was real. They could walk on it. They could raise their families in this place. They could have a livelihood in the land. It was a place of peace, it was a place of prosperity. It was a place of security. It was living under God's rule and under the umbrella of God's favor. It was shalom. And this is the inheritance that the Jews would see, these Jewish Christians who were scattered about as a result of persecution. They would see that 
this promise of an inheritance was the promise of something real. And so when we talk about heaven, we're talking about something real. We're talking about a real place that one day your feet will step on. That one day you will see its beauty. And there is a place that under the rule and reign of King Jesus, you will live and walk in perfect holiness and perfect peace. And it will be that true shalom, that true rest. And in heaven, he says, here's what it's like. It's imperishable. There's nothing that can destroy it. There's no nuclear bomb that can take it out. There's no invading armies that you have to be afraid of. But this is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And he says it's undefiled. It's a place that's free from sin and every impurity. There are no locked doors. There are no alarms. Every woman who lays her head at, to, to, to bed at night can sleep in peace and every man is honorable. It is a place where every child is cherished. There are no jails. There are no police because there is no sin. There is no impurity that would defile this magnificent and holy place called heaven. It's also unfading. Beauty today is fleeting. We all know that beauty fades. When the cathedral of Notre Dame burned, we wept because something so beautiful could be destroyed because that beauty could fade. But heaven will not be burned down. Heaven is eternal. Heaven is sure. There is nothing that can come against the beauty of heaven for all eternity. It is a place of absolute certainty. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagine, what God has prepared for those who love Him. Today, we can only imagine it. But one day, that which we are imagining will be right before our very eyes and our feet will be on the solid ground of God's inheritance that He's promised to you. The glory and beauty of heaven. And the real beauty of heaven isn't just the place, but it's the person. And the person is the living hope, Jesus Christ. Because all those who receive the inheritance of heaven do so because they receive the love of the Father given through the Son, Jesus Christ. And that's your inheritance. Your name is written there right now. And God has promised it to you. And then we see here the power of hope. First Peter verse 5 who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's God's power that keeps this hope alive in our hearts. COVID-19, coronavirus, economic collapse, these things cannot cause our hope in what God has given us 
to fail or falter because He is the one who guards it. Warren Wearsby says it like this, Like an anchor, our hope in Christ stabilizes us in the storms of life. But unlike an anchor, our hope moves us forward. It does not hold us back. Like an anchor, we're steadfast. And we're unmoved and we're sure and there's certainty. But unlike an anchor, we go forward. Actually, we're propelled forward in the midst of the things that we cannot see because by faith, we're believing in the promises of God and we know there's a new day. And with that new day, comes the living hope breathing into us His life moment by moment so that we might breathe that life into others. I remember uh, earlier on in our marriage, we'd just gotten married and we thought the timing was right. We, we had the finances to do so. We prepared our hearts and our homes for it. We were ready to have children. And within a few years of this, we realized it wouldn't be so easy. And so it started burdening us. And that hope became real, more significant. And we wondered if God would provide for us a child. So we sought out some help. We went to an infertility specialist doctor. And within a few months of going to this doctor, we knew that it was going to be a lot more difficult than we thought. We'd invested a lot of money. We've invested a lot of emotional energy. And one particular day at the doctor's office, we had felt defeated. We felt like there was no hope. We felt crushed. We were, dis- we were even feeling despair. And I remember the doctor looked at us in the eye and with sincerity and love, he said to us, I know things are hard right now, but it's not a matter of if, it's when. And this doctor spoke these powerful words into our life that was both an anchor, it grounded us, but also it propelled us forward. Now, that's an incredible thing that people have the power to do. But even within this doctor, he couldn't promise us this with certainty. But the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ is a certain promise. You will receive this inheritance that is guarded by the power of God because He both anchors you and moves you forward. It's not an if it happens, it's when it happens. And God is the one that will provide that and He gives you the power for it today. That power guards you. That power shields you. That power protects you. The reason why you're participating in this worship service right now is because God is infusing that power into your life right now so that like an anchor you'll be planted, but it'll also move you forward so that you'll live all of your life for His glory and you will declare the excellencies uh, of as the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There's an article that I read just the other day uh, about this COVID-19 where they had, they had kind of changed some of their predictions uh, related to the deaths that are happening. And so here, uh, the, a, a University of Washington model was cited. It says... Um, State officials project that COVID-19, the respiratory ailment caused by coronavirus, will claim 60,000 
415 American lives by August 4th. Now, if you were looking at the news the other day, which had the death toll around of 100 or 200,000, this is very good news. But still, it's 60,000 people that are dying by August 4th. With the peak of these deaths coming on Easter Sunday this weekend, when it projects that 212 will die. Now, I don't know if those projections will ring true today, but I know that there's 212 people that are dying. And here's the other thing I know about these people. Whether it's 1,000 or 2,000 or whoever, however many it is, many of these people are dying with their hopes and their dreams. But some, some are dying with their hope in the living hope, Jesus Christ. And as soon as they move from this life into the next, they will taste the sweetness of the inheritance in the glory of heaven in the presence of God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's guarded and protected by the power of God. We see this ultimately in the life of Jesus. One of the best pictures that we have of it is Christ on the cross. Even while His life is leaving His body, Jesus Christ is ministering to those around Him. You know the imagery. He's on the cross between two criminals. One to His left and one to His right. And you read the account from Luke 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Because the work of Christ on the cross was so significant, it guarded hope, even the hope of a criminal who would die that day and be brought into the inheritance, which shows that you need a new birth into it. And that new birth happened in that thief on that cross when that man uttered those words, Remember me when you receive your kingdom. And Jesus says to him with power, Not if, but when. Truly, truly, I say to you on this day, you will be with me in paradise. And that's the certainty of the power that God provides in our hope. John Stott, theologian, says something really marvelous. It's quite simple. He says, we live and die. Christ died and lived. This is the beauty of the resurrection. Is that everything that we go through in life, Christ is intimately familiar with. That Christ became a man. That He is the God-man. 
He is the one who entered into our broken and messy world. This virus-filled world, this world filled with sin, but yet sin did not infect him. But yet Jesus took on sin, the punishment, the weight of our sin on our behalf, and he was crucified for it. He hung on that tree between those criminals, although he was innocent. But he died, and then he lived. No one else has that story except Christ. Now, because of Christ, we have that story. Outside of Christ, no one has that story. No one gets that story. In fact, the story is they died and they came under the condemnation and wrath of God. That's a dead hope. But the living hope of the gospel is that Jesus Christ offered his life as the perfect, sinless sacrifice. He was the substitute for your sin. It means that when Jesus Christ was, was on that cross, he was bearing the weight of God's wrath and punishment and condemnation for you. And it means that we received his righteousness. That's the message of Good Friday, but it gets even better than that. Jesus didn't stay dead in that grave. But when the women went down to tend to his body and they saw that tomb opened, they were able to see the evidence of the Savior who had risen from the grave. And we know that even Jesus spoke the words to Mary. He called her to go and tell the disciples that Christ has risen. And so Jesus speaks his life into the death of our lives so that we might find a living hope. So it's no longer I hope so or I hope we get through this. And those are good hopes, but all of those hopes come under the hope that we have in the living hope, Jesus Christ. Because even if death should take place, we know that that inheritance is more certain than anything this world has to offer, that it is imperishable, undefiled, and it is kept in heaven for us. And this is the hope that we have today, this Easter Sunday, 2020, by the power of the gospel for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that today you offer us the living hope of Jesus Christ. And Lord, there's nothing that can take that away. Lord, we know it's kept there. You are guarding us for it. You are protecting us for it. We can't run away from it, Lord. But that even when we do, you'll chase after us with that hope. And you'll show us the living hope that's found in the empty tomb. And we can say in our hearts, through the new life and new birth you've given us, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.